Hey church, it's so good to introduce to you the first ever guest preacher here at our new location. And it's so appropriate that it would be Pastor Scott Hamilton who would get to be the first. Scott and his wife, Allison, are from Glasgow, Scotland, where they live with their four children. Scott is the lead pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel, Glasgow, which planted in August 2009. And we were the coaching church for Harvest Glasgow since the beginning. In 2011, they stepped out on their own as we appointed their first elders for them. The relationship since that day has only grown. And now Harvest Glasgow partners with us in our work in Cameroon. And we are uh, preparing to stand with them as they reach out to other areas of the UK and the Republic of Ireland with a heart to plant even more churches. Scott and Allison are really good friends of ours. And I know the relationships run deep for several others in our church family who have met many from Harvest Glasgow over the years, both here and over there. I love the Canada-Scotland thing, and I'm so glad that Pastor Scott is coming right now to open God's Word with us. So Harvest, welcome him warmly as he comes right now. It's so great to be here. Um, as the video went up, I realized, man, I wore a shirt and tie last time I came. I feel really underdressed uh, today. Um, so great to be here uh, with you all. I love your new house. And um, it's just been a, such a, as Todd said, such a blessing for us to be in partnership with you all. And that relationship between your church and our church has really served us and stopped church planting in a difficult environment being a, a lonely place. I can safely say because of the friendship of your church with our church from those kind of small beginnings, we've been really blessed by that. And planting in a different country, we're the only Harvest Bible Chapel in the UK, the only one at the moment in Western Europe. We're praying that's going to change real soon. Um, but so thankful for that. And we've been praying for you. So what a joy to be able to see your new house. What a joy also to be able to show you ours. Um, this week, Wednesday um, afternoon, we heard that we had purchased. Let's, can we put some photos up show you our new house? Okay. Um, They're just going to run through some pictures just to show you um, the space that we've been able to buy. So we're the preferred bidder on this property. There's some due process we need to go through uh, between now and then. But this is our worship centre. And um, what a blessing. We're so thankful to the Lord. It's like blown our minds how kind he's been to us. So this is the future home of Harvest Bible Chapel, Glasgow, the future sending base for church planting. We pray in Scotland and we pray this has just been awesomely used by the Lord in, in our nation and beyond. Um, so thankful for all of that. There's there's my gang hanging outside, me and my get tribe hanging out, my clan, sorry, I should use the Scottish word, me and my clan. <laughs> and there's a little rainbow in the background just to show us God's promise, right? Okay. <laughs> did I tick enough boxes there? I feel as if I probably did. Okay, so that's um, so thankful to the Lord for all his goodness to us in all of those different areas. Thankful as well, and just so sweet for me to be able to spend some time with Todd and Cheryl. And their friendship has been so precious to us over these last few years. And, um, and Todd in particular has just been such a great help to me as I've sought to pastor uh, the church in Glasgow faithfully. So I've got, uh, do I come up for a little minute, Todd? I, I, those of you who've been around for a while maybe recognize the photo we're going to put up on the screen. Um, this is Charles Spurgeon. This is not Todd. Um, but... <laughs> But, funny you should laugh, let's get the next photo up. This is Todd Dugard dressed as Charles Spurgeon. 
And just to be clear, that was not my Photoshop doing, that was all his own work. Um, <laughs> Um, so if you've been around about the church, you've maybe seen that photo before, but uh, Spurgeon is one of your heroes, one of my heroes, one of a hero of many uh, preacher friends of ours, and he would preach without notes. He was better than me, certainly, I'm not sure. Uh, he would preach without notes, and he would have somebody who would sit and basically transcribe every single message he would preach. He would sit down, and they would sit down and write it, and then after he had preached, he, they would hand it over to him, and he would basically sit, and he would say, yeah, I wish I hadn't said this, or I wish I hadn't said that. And he would make little amendments, and that would then be uh, put together into a magazine, which would be circulated far and wide around about the United Kingdom. It was called The Sword and Trowel, and it, it was just a far-reaching ministry to encourage and, and equip minist- people in ministry around about the nation. And in many ways, that is representative of the work I feel as if you've done in my life to, to equip and encourage me in ministry. So as part of that, we actually have one of those transcriptions uh, with Spurgeon's own amendments to that transcription um, here to, to give to you. This is on behalf of our church in Harvest Glasgow and our appreciation just for all the encouragement you've given us. And we hope it's going to look really sweet in your new office wall. Um, so, bless you. Bless you. So thankful for this church, thankful for our building, thankful for your pastor. Um, and this is a good thing this morning, we're going to be thinking about uh, the topic of thankfulness. So if you would grab your Bibles, turn to Psalm 138, and uh, we're going to really think about what does it mean? We're going to think about this idea of thrilled thankfulness. What does it mean to be transformed by thankfulness to the Lord? And we really believe that thankfulness and developing an attitude and a discipline of thankfulness in your life is designed to change your life. And it will change your life if you give yourself to that process. And that's really what Psalm 138, we think, says uh, to us and encourages us to contemplate. I wonder, are you good at saying thank you? Are you good at that? Um, are, you, are, you, are you the kind of person who kind of, oh yeah, I really meant to do that? Or you feel guilty when you see somebody who is really good at saying thank you uh, for things? Um, we tend to be mixed in our response to being thankful for the things we, that we get, and the thing with stuff is that our thankfulness passes quickly or, is it, or the, the stuff we have is so run of the mill as we take it for granted. So thankfulness is a difficult discipline for us to develop. So do you do that? Do you forget to say thank you for the blessings you've received? You know what it looks like? You pray and you pray and you pray and you pray. And then you get what you want and then it's like radio silence between you and God until you need something else. Do you understand what that communicates to God? What that communicates to God is this. I am only in this for what I can get from you. Imagine that in any other relationship you were in. How's that going for you? You ask and you ask and you ask with zero appreciation at the end. How does that work in your, the relationship with the people who are sitting beside you and around you just now? Here's the thing. It's a dangerous thing when our hearts are more interested in the resources of God than they are in a relationship with God. And how we pray is one of the most straightforward ways to diagnose the heart problem of something we prize more than God. Not just how we pray, but what we pray for is straightforward in helping us to diagnose the heart problem of something we have, that we, something we prize more than God. And that's where thankfulness comes in. Because thankfulness changes things because it involves us looking away from ourselves to the one who has lavished something upon us which we would not have apart from that one who exists apart from us. 
So what we're talking about is a transformative thankfulness, the thankfulness that can change our lives. So with all that in mind, let's listen to what David says in this psalm. He says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Let's pray and then we'll think about these things together. Father, we are so thankful to you for what we've been able to sing to you and about you, about how great you are and about what you've done for us. And Father, we pray as we have thought about those things and we are humbled by those realities. Father, we pray that you would help us to humble our hearts under your word, that you would, and as you do that, you would stir within us a, a, a deep thankfulness for all that you've done in our lives. And you would stir within us a fresh desire or maybe even a new desire for you to work in our life to transform us and change us as we understand the gospel afresh, as we look to you and you and we long for you. So Father, we pray you would help us in these things for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So David starts off, he says, I give you thanks, O Lord. And we may ask, well, what was the occasion? But when we ask, what the, when, I, when I bring my wife flowers, and she says, what's the occasion? It feels as if I'm doing a lousy job as a husband. What was the occasion? Well, did I need one? Do, do I usually only bring one when there's a, an occasion? The reality is, every day is a re, an occasion for thankfulness. As you are sitting, taking breath, and inhaling and exhaling right now, that is cause for thankfulness. It is an occasion for thanks. If you take the moment, I hope it's not too awkward, take a moment and look at the person sitting next to you. That person, the people sat around you right now are an occasion for thankfulness. They are a gift to you from God. They are a reason to be thankful. The, the songs that we have sung this morning, all of those words are designed to stir within us a fresh thankfulness for who God is and what God has done. And my prayer this morning is that a thankfulness would bloom in our hearts that would be more than just words, but that would transform every single area of our lives. So what we're going to think this morning is about what does it mean to be truly thankful to God? And we've got a few things for you to help you just work through that. So first of all, when I'm truly thankful to God, I long to put him in first place. When I'm truly thankful to God, I long to put him in first place. Here's the reality. There are lots of things at this very moment vying for first place in your life, vying, competing to be on the throne of your heart. Those tend to be the things you feel most urgently or passionately about. They're the things that occupy your heart and your mind, your thoughts and your idle moments. David gets what it looks like though to, to put God in first place, to, to set those things aside, those competing desires and those competing passions to one side in order to enthrone God in the to enthrone God on his heart in his heart. 
So he says he gives thanks, first of all, with, with my whole heart. Could that be said of you? That you're giving thanks to the Lord, that you're worshiping God, that you're living your life for God with your whole heart. Those other things that vie and compete with God for our attention and affection have a very good trick, a very good way, a handy knack of being able to sideline God and, causing us to be, and, cause us, and to cause us to be resistant to enthroning God in our lives. So there's, uh, there are different temperatures, I think, as we look through Scripture, we see different temperatures to, of resistance to this as we examine our own lives, as we examine our approach to God at different seasons in our lives, we see there are different temperatures to our resistance to making that our ongoing reality, that God is king and I am not. The different temperatures look like, well, maybe how about this? People who are half-hearted, people who are half-hearted, they're lazy and disinterested. Does that describe you right now? Laziness, disinterest. It's a person who receives the gift and then sets it to one side in order to continue what they're doing and the, the gift lies gathering dust unused. Half-hearted. Or how about this, cold-hearted. Considering the Lord not without an ounce of enthusiasm or, or passion. And when that's the case for you, that is evidence that gratitude for his grace has not grabbed you. So you can be half-hearted or you can be cold-hearted or maybe, you're, you would, maybe this category fits for you. You, would, you may be hard-hearted. Who God is and what he has done bounces off of you. You can't praise him because the reality of the gospel has not penetrated your hard heart. And therefore your stubbornness is a barrier to, to thankfulness. The half-hearted, cold-hearted, hard-hearted person refuses to acknowledge that they were created by God and their existence is therefore designed to be defined by God. And those things are all an outworking of being broken-hearted, having a life broken by lost bearings. And those things are also outworking and a reason are also the reason why so many of us feel heavy-hearted, burdened by life's baggage. Or is that do either of those things describe you? Broken by lost bearings, burdened by life's baggage. Could it be it is because you've lost sight of all the marvelous grace that God designs and desires to work in your life? You are made for worship and not of all that clutter and junk you're so prone to put your life, your trust in. You were made to worship your creator, the one who loved you enough to send his son Jesus to die on a cross for you. You were made for that. You shortchange yourself every time you settle for something else. So he, David acknowledges this, you're, you're, you're worthy of my whole heart, but not just that, you're also worthy of my highest worship. Look at the second half of verse one with me, if you would. He says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. Now, David has done something vital and helpful for us here in the second half of this verse. 
he is calling out what he identifies as small g gods. You'll notice in the text, he doesn't capitalize the word gods. There's a small g there. He's calling out those small g gods that people are prone to put their trust in rather than the capital G creator of the universe. He's calling out small g gods. And as you're sitting here this morning, do you know that you have them too? You have small g gods that are vying for your attention, affection, and worship. And if you think long and hard enough about it, if you sit and truly examine your heart, you can name them. It could be prosperity, it could be popularity, it could be prestige, it could be power, it could be a longing for acceptance and affirmation. It could be a whole bunch of different things that you're looking for. Can you name them? You saw a photo earlier on of our four kids and um, my boys in particular have become very adept at learning how to trash talk their dad, particularly when they beat me on the Xbox or something like that. Um, and, one, and my six-year-old boy has recently discovered the phrase, and we're trying to train it out of him, which is, in your face. <laughs> so we have a discipleship issue in our home. That's really my disclosure to you this morning. But that's what David is talking about here. Before the gods, I sang your praise in front of in your face, small g gods, in a statement of supremacy of you, capital G, God, creator of the universe, I will sing your praise. He is drawing a distinction which is helpful for us to note and to live in light of. He is drawing a distinction between the puny, small g gods the world turns to and the capital G God to whom he is resolving to worship with all that he is. Now, in my notes here, I've got the words victory dance written down. And when, when the boot is on the other foot, when the roles are switched, and I'm the one who defeats my kids on the Xbox, I've got this awesome victory dance, which I would love to show you. Would you like to see that? <laughs> well, I really wanted to show you, which is why I put it in my notes, but I promised my wife and children that I wouldn't embarrass them in my foreign travel. So unfortunately, I can't show you my victory dance. It's always good to have wiggle room. While all the world is worshipping these small G gods, I will stand in front of them and do a victory dance about how awesome my God is. Because when I am thankful, second of all, I pray in light of what God prizes. Remember we said that how we pray and what we pray for is diagnostic of the reality of our hearts. When I am thankful, when I am standing... Worshipping God over and above, declaring the utter supremacy of my capital G, saving, loving, eternal God. That changes something. It makes me, it causes me, it stirs within me a desire to pray in light of what God prizes. See, thankfulness to God exalts God as the one who has provided for our greatest need. And verse 2 highlights two of the things that God prizes most in his people. Do you see it? I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For the two things he, he, he prizes, humility, we bow down. 
and holiness, we, the attention and the direction of our hearts is towards him longing for what he longs for in our lives to be holy because he is holy. He calls us to humility. He calls you to humility and, the, and his design is to create, create in you holiness. He works to pursue the things he prizes in your life. And when we grasp the blessing that that is, we follow David's example and say, I am blown away by how he has blessed me. I am blown away by how he has blessed me. He has blessed me, so I bow before him. And he acknowledges that the work of God in his life is the result of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. And if we're honest about ourselves, if there is anything good, if there is anything holy, if there is anything that will move us truly towards humility, is there anything that will more create within us holiness, is the reality that God has loved us in a way that we could never earn and that we don't deserve and he's not going anywhere. And we are thankful His never moving love and his never changing character are what David is talking about here. And those things, his never moving love and his never changing character are the greatest blessing that you can know. And they stand in direct contrast to the things we are so prone to pray for and the small, small g gods we are so prone to give worth to. The things we are prone to trust instead of him leave us unsure of whether they will be there for us and if they will come through for us. But the steadfast love and faithfulness of God leave us in no doubt that we can turn to him with anything and we can trust him with everything. And, and, when, and when we have a God like that, when you have a God like that, when we have a God who has shown the full extent of that steadfast love and faithfulness by sending Jesus to die on a cross for us, how can we do anything else but bow before him? Uh, before him? How can we do anything other than be blown away by how good he has been to us? How can I do anything else but praise in light of what he prizes? He's blessed me, so I bow. See, thankfulness teaches us to surrender. It teaches us to surrender. It teaches us there's nothing we can do for ourselves. It reminds us to be thankful for the good that we've received from a loving and gracious God who loves us in spite of ourselves. So I'm blown away by how he has blessed me. And I'm excited about what he has exalted. I'm excited about what he has exalted. You're maybe wondering why I chose Psalm 138. Probably not, but you might be. And um, there's a reason for that. This is, as has been said, I'm the first visiting preacher. And somewhere over in this front row towards the door, underneath the carpet, I asked for some verses to be, to be written, which were Psam 138, verses 1 to 3. We've got the photo, I think, of that there for you, just in case you didn't believe me. Okay? Um, there's a little Scotland flag as well. Love that. Um, so that's written under the carpet here, and I thought it would be fitting for us to, to spend time unpacking what does that mean. God has exalted. That, this verse tells us that God has exalted. He has made great. He is magnified above all things. Above all things. 
above your fragile materialism, above your small g gods. He is magnified. He is exalted. He is made great above those things and all things his name and his word. And in the context of thankfulness, David turning to this is instructive. He's already said that he is thankful for God's steadfast love and faithfulness. We've seen that. And he recognizes here that he is able to be thankful for those things because of God's uncompromising commitment to his name and his word. David knows that in order to be thankful for God's relational investment in him, he must be thank- first be thankful for the things about God that God is unwilling to compromise. His name and his word. His name and his word are the things that God is unwilling to compromise. That's what this is saying. He is exalted above all things. They are untouchable. They are unreachable. They are unalterable in any way, shape, or form. And those things, his name and his words, set the foundations for his faithfulness and him inviting us to be part of his family. He is exalted above all things, his name, who he is, and his word, what he says. And the basis of all this thankfulness flows from an excitement about what God has exalted. His name and his word, his person and his promises, his compelling commitment to his character and what he communicates. So how can we be truly thankful? Well, first by knowing who he is, and then by believing what he says. By understand, thankfulness flows from understanding that we can trust, that I can trust. Thankfulness for me flows from understanding that I can trust in the steadfast love and faithfulness because I know God will not compromise who he is or what he has promised me in his word. That is the kind of conviction, friends, that is the kind of conviction that produces clarity in our lives, confidence in our hearts, and comfort in our circumstances. And it's designed to be radically life-altering. It's designed to be transformative in how you live your lives as you learn to be thankful. You say, well, what does a life that, that, like that, what does a life, what does a life like that look like? There's too many L's in that sentence. Well, in turn, we exalt those things with our lives when we understand how central and foundational and key and important and how much God prizes those things, then we are as thankful people who have received his grace and long to live for his glory, designed to live our lives in a way that, well, first of all, exalts his name through a life lived for his glory, a lifestyle that doesn't bring his name into disrepute, a lifetime of speaking his name in order to tell people about how glorious and awesome he is. Don't you want to give your life to that? Aren't those the things you want to give your life to? A life lived for his glory, a lifestyle that doesn't bring his name into disrepute, a lifetime of speaking his name in order to tell people about how glorious and awesome he is. That's what it means to be excited about what he has exalted. That's his name, but there's more. What about his word? Well, how do we we exalt his word through every day seeking to grow in his word? Saying, I need to be in this book. He says it's important. God prizes it more than anything else. How can I not read these words that he's given me? Every day seeking to grow in his word, everything about us resting in his promises, everyone is a, see, and seeing everyone around us as an audience for his truth. 
Our thankfulness in all of this can be fueled by thinking about this reality stored up in the call to be part of his, of his family and to put our faith in him. It's an awesome thing, really, that when we trust in Jesus, and maybe you have trusted Jesus this morning, I really hope you have. If you haven't trusted Jesus, this is the invitation for you to come and do just that. But when you trust in Jesus, it's an awesome thing that he gives you. He, when you come and trust in Jesus, he gives you his name and he gives you his word. He gives you the very things he exalted, he has exalted above all things. He gives you his name. That's the family foundation and he gives you his word. That's your faith foundation. So when I, when I put him in first place and I'm living in light of what, has, has, what God has put in first place, how can we do anything else? How can I do anything else but live in pursuit of God's promise? I live in pursuit of God's promise. That's the final matter of thankfulness for us this morning. So the source of that promise is contained, the promise that we are living in pursuit of is contained in God's name and in his word. And, and I hope you see this morning that there, there is a richness that betrays the emptiness of what we are so prone to trust in rather than Jesus. As David found, so can you. Your story told with thankfulness is a God-appointed means of strengthening your trust. What I love about Psalm 138 is that he gives us an opportunity to hear his story of thankfulness and how he reflects on God and his goodness to him this morning. And so there's five things that thrilled thankfulness buds through. Five things that thrilled thankfulness understands. First of all, how loving is his listening? Verse three. I know there's a little alteration in your notes. I apologize for that. Verse three, how loving is his listening? Look what he says. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. On the day I called, what day? What day? What was the occasion? We don't need an occasion. Did you not learn that earlier? David probably had in mind one day, but in reality, he knows that it could have been any day such as God's attentiveness. I called, I cried out. It wasn't just that one day. Psalm 18 verse 3 says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. So not just one day and not just him. Listen to what Jeremiah 33 verse 3 says, call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Not just Jeremiah either. How about Isaiah? Seek the Lord while he may be found. That's the invitation for you this morning to seek him and to come to him. Call upon him while he is near. Call upon him. And not just in the Old Testament, in the New Testament as well. 1 John 5 verse 14. This is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. David experienced exactly what those verses remind us of. On the day I called, you answered me. My cry did not fall on deaf ears. Now, this has been an interesting week for me I've been, as I've been prepping this message to come because we heard, as I said earlier on, about our building on Wednesday. So I spent Monday and Tuesday preparing this message, not entirely sure where this was all going to lead. 
was I going to have to talk about and, and recognizing in my own heart my own tendency to only be thankful for things when they go the way I want them to go. There's a discipline in thankfulness to be thankful to God because he's God, not just to be thankful because I get the stuff that I want. On the day that I called, you answered me. Now in that we should not presume that an answer from God that disagrees with our desires is deafness. Nor should we presume that having to wait for an outcome is evidence of God's unwillingness to listen. This is encouraging you not to find strength of soul from an answer, but from the one to whom your soul is able to be anchored. How loving is his listening. He hears you and invites you to come to him with the very cry, the deepest cry and calling out of your heart. He invites you and he hears you. I love the perspective that Tim Keller gives on this. And our approach, our, our, the, what God has opened up and the invitation that God has given us to approach him with all that is on our hearts and in our minds. He says this, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3, at 3 a.m. for a glass of water as a child. We have that kind of access to God. Did you get it? The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water as a child. You have that kind of access. God has given you that kind of access to himself. And that really is remarkable, particularly when you can truly consider the one to whom you call out. And not just how loving is his listening, but how great is his glory. Look at verse 4. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. All the kings. This is not limited to a few kings who might choose to do it. All the kings. Now, we should remember that he is reflecting on this as King David. And in many ways, he is saying, if all these other kings could know what I know and see what I see, then they would cast aside their crowns just to get close to him. But he's also talking about the eternal reality that God's word is clear about. Every king of the earth will bow because the kings of the earth are no different from any other kind of person on earth. There will be a day when all will bow before him in worship. All will bow before him when they hear the words of his mouth. All will bow before him in worship. How great is his glory. Those who, who hold power and authority and wealth and esteem in this world will, will worship him. Do you? Are you? For great greater than any human power, any worldly idea of glory, is the glory of the Lord. I love what, Psalm, what Isaiah 40 verses 18 and 19 says, to whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? An idol? Really? A craftsman casts it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. Do you see how it's asking the question, to whom will you compare him? It's a rhetorical question. He's not really looking for a serious answer. Why would you do that? Is really what he's asking. He's only asking that question because we do compare these other things to God. He's only asking the question because we do it and because it's stupid when we really understand who God is. 
Even though we spend so much, and, and how remarkable that even though we spend so much of our days and so much of our life comparing such crass things with him, how gentle is his grace. That's the third thing we, the thir- that is designed to stir thankfulness within us. How gentle is his grace. I love this. Verse six. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. For though the Lord is high, higher than kings, greatest in glory, he regards the lowly. He regards the lowly. Do you, do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? He sees you. God sees you. So when you think you're unnoticed and uncared for and existing in this life surrounded by indifference, this verse is telling you that God sees you and he knows you and he loves you. How gentle is his grace. He is the, the, he is the parent kneeling to embrace the broken child. He's a friend comforting the one filled with grief. He regards the lowly. His kindness does not depend on your caliber, but on his faithful and steadfast character and kindness. Although he is high, he offers you help. Although he is high, he holds out his hand and invites you to come and to receive from him all that he would have for you. He invites you to come and receive the tender mercy and care that he would extend and reach into your life with. Out of his sovereignty, he extends to you salvation. But the haughty he knows from afar. Does anyone know what the word haughty means? I had to look it up. Um, I refer to somebody who's arrogant or proud, who thinks they're all that, who's too big for their boots. I don't know how we, Canadians would say it. You're all probably far too polite to use such terms. But <laughs> but that's what pride does. That's what your pride is doing right now. It creates distance between you and God. And here's the reality. Any humbling thing is a helpful thing if it calls you, causes you to hold tighter to Jesus. So here's the bottom line. Pride towards him creates a problem. That's sin. Humility towards him allows you to find the help you need. That is salvation. And how strong, fourth of all, how strong is his salvation? Though I walk in the midst of trouble, and you all know that life means trouble never seems too far away. And for David, you just need to spend time in First and Second Samuel to see how many scrapes he got himself into. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. So David has gotten into all these scrapes. He's, lived, he's experiencing all that life is throwing at him and he is thankful that God preserves his life and he has a clear sense of God keeping him. And he says this, you stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. Now for, for David, those were political enemies and rivalries and it is easy, very easy and somewhat dangerous for us to see things in those human terms too. I can think of some people I'd like God to sort out. I've got some enemies I would like God to just make, make sort out and fix and 
teach a lesson. I've, I've got some stuff that... Is that really what it's talking about? The mistake that we often make when we read something like that is to imagine that the most important thing that God can do for me is to deal with the difficult people in my life and miss the, real, and miss the reality that I am the most difficult person in my life. You're laughing because it's true. The enemies that we all deal with, David included, and God has dealt with utterly and eternally are the enemies of sin, death, and separation from God, and he offers you that same help today. How strong is his salvation? How strong is his salvation? Do you want to know? As strong as his son. Dying with the weight of your sin upon him to utterly defeat it. Raised again to offer new life to you through him. Dwelling eternally where he invites you to be with him. Now reigning at God's right hand. Which you'll note at the end of verse 7. Is the very hand by which God, verse 7 says, God delivers us. How strong is his salvation. As strong as his son. Why would you want to live for anything else? When we are thankful, when we are truly thankful, when we have thrilled thankfulness, when thankfulness has transformed our lives, this is what we say. How I long to pursue his purpose. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Do you believe it? And if you believe it, are you living for it? Are you living for that purpose? There are two amazing things here. First, that the Lord sees our small lives given to puny small G gods and still designs a purpose for us for his glory. And second, that he will finish it. That he doesn't give up on us and he doesn't just leave us to our own devices and to, to be utterly dissatisfied with the small G gods we're chasing satisfaction in. You can be as confident as David's here, you can be as confident as Paul was with the church in Philippi in God's capacity and intention to see through to the end what he has started in you. Because when God starts something, he does not falter and he does not fail because his steadfast love, it says here, his steadfast love endures forever. So steadfast and enduring, which is like a double lock on all that God would do in your life. God's purpose for you is an ever-deepening trust in the promise that he gives and a life that pursues it. Your life purpose, your life purpose is made entirely secure by God's love promise. So when David says, do not forsake the work of your hands, it is as one who grasps that God doesn't quit. So if God won't quit, why do you? When you see who he is, when you, when you see, when you understand who he is and what he has done, why are you not running full steam towards him yelling, I want to serve your purpose, O Lord, for as long as I live. I mean, when you see who he is and what he has done, how, how do you be, even begin to express your thankfulness for that? Where can you start? Well, your gratitude for his grace is best shown in giving yourself to him for his glory. The truly thankful person is thrilled to throw themselves at anything the throne of God invites them to do. That is transformative thankfulness. 
That is how leaning into the discipline of being thankful can change your life. And that's my prayer for all of us, that we would learn what it is to set aside the small, puny, small G gods that we are prone to trust in and instead pursue with utter thankfulness the one who reigns in the throne and invites us to join him. Let me pray for us. Father, may in our hearts it be true that we would say and declare with all that we are no more of those things which we put our trust in that we elevate in the throne of our hearts instead of you. Father, may it be true that as we are about to sing, so would be our prayer that you are exalted overall. And that wouldn't just be true in some cosmological, philosophical sense, but it would be true right here in the very core of who we are. That our lives would declare it that our words would proclaim it and our thankfulness would be an expression of it. Help as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.